It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's Live in the Breen with host of Fox News at Night, Shannon Breen. We welcome to Live in the Bream, one of my favorite guests, favorite authors. It gets I get so excited when I get to talk to him, and this time he's actually in the same continent. It's nice to be here. Yeah. <laughs> Joel Rosenberg <laughs> is back with us, New York Times bestselling author. Um, he has such an amazing backstory, and he's written so many fantastic books. By the way, I have been recommending Implosion, which mm. is one of your nonfiction books to a lot of people, too. So you may know him for his bestselling fiction books, but nonfiction as well. Joel is multi-talented, and he covers so many things that we think at this moment in history, we have so much to talk to him about. So welcome. Implosion, thank you. It's good to be here, Shannon. And I appreciate you so much, and I'm so happy to be back in the studio and mm-hmm. back in Washington after you know mm-hmm. living in on the other side of the world. Yes, Joel and his family are now dual citizens in Israel and the U.S. We joke that that means we get to vote twice. It's like <laughs> living in Chicago. Oh, okay, zing! Uh, our our listeners will appreciate that. So you you were there most of the time now, yes. um, and you continue to work and write from there. Um, but you have a unique perspective on so many things that are happening right now. I want to mention that the, your new book that's out is absolutely, as I say, for all of yours keeps you on the edge of your seat. It is so fantastic. This is the third in a trilogy, your latest trilogy. and the it's, latest. It's not a trilogy. It's going to keep going. Oh, it is going to keep going. Yes, I have done a series of trilogies. That's right, true. Right, right, right. You tricked this me. This is, uh, we're not sure. I'm not sure how. Indefinite. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the latest, though, installment is The Jerusalem Assassin out March 17th. It is fantastic. You will love it. Um, you probably need to go back and read the first two. That would be useful. Because, I mean, it is, and the story is amazing. I'm so happy to hear there are going to be more than three, <laughs> potentially. That's great news. Okay, so The Jerusalem Assassin out March 17th. And what you do so well, among many things, in writing your fiction, we talk about this, that it weaves into real life things that are happening, current mm-hmm. days events. This is terrorism. It involves um, Israel and Russia and North Korea. I mean, everything is tied into this book uh, in this series. Um, tell me how you go about writing these books that are so wrapped up in today's headlines when you're writing months and sometimes years in advance. Happy to do it. Do you want me to give a, people a teaser yes, of this one? Sure. before, And then they'll understand a little bit of that yeah. context. So, mm-hmm. all right. So the Jerusalem assassin, my fictional American president, is getting to ready ready to roll out his big Middle East peace plan between the Israelis and the Palestinians. Who knew? And uh, what he wants to do is give that speech of, of the big rollout on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. His security people are saying, I don't know if that's a good idea, Mr. Mm-hmm. President. They're but not fans. What happens is he sends out his national security team to brief Arab leaders and Israeli leaders and European leaders and others. A series of senior U.S. officials involved in drafting the plan start getting assassinated. Mm-hmm. This rattles the president, understandably. He thinks maybe maybe this is the wrong time. we got to rethink. But right at that moment, he gets a back-channel message from the Saudis. And the Saudis say, and I'm not giving away too much, but the Saudis say, Mr. President, if you will invite the crown prince to Jerusalem for a high-profile, big peace summit that you host, and the Israeli prime minister is there, and you sort of insist that we come, mm-hmm. the Saudi crown prince will come. Well, this the president's electrified, and the security team says, Mr. President, with all respect, I mean, you're the commander in chief, but you can't go to Jerusalem right mm-hmm. now. We've got a terror group we've never heard of. We've got people dying, and you want to bring the Saudi crown prince and the Israeli prime minister and you on the Temple Mount? And he turns to my hero, Marcus mm-hmm. Riker, former Secret Service agent, now CIA 
operative. And he says, you and your team, get this thing safe, and I'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And now the countdown's on. Everybody's converging, yeah. including the bad guys. So I've got, that's, the, that's the setup. I've the gotten that far. Assassin. I okay. have gotten that far okay. in the book. Um, I, this, this is just me. Marcus Riker, who is, you know, several books into this now, um, he's done all kinds of amazing things. But he's a trouble guy. Yes, he's um, got troubles. <laughs> should he play, should, should someone play him in a movie? I. What does Marcus look like? <laughs> Could well, you give us a description? But I'm like, in your mind, who would Marcus be played by? Oh, that's a trick. I don't want to say that. Uh, <laughs> only because I don't want to rule out. We, so we oh. just are in the process of finishing a book <gasps> deal, not for, or a movie deal, not for this one, okay. but for the Auschwitz Escape, yes, which is the only book. historical fiction novel mm-hmm. I've ever written mm-hmm. about the most dramatic escape in human history for Jews that escape from Auschwitz mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. tell the world what was happening. So we're so I I, I don't want to okay. prejudice other discussions that are going on. But mm-hmm. look, Marcus Riker is a former Marine who actually enlisted because he saw 9/11 happen. He was in college and he decided, I'm in. I you know, I want to go get Bin Laden's head on a platter. Joins mm-hmm. the Marines, serves in Afghanistan, serves in uh, in Iraq. Comes back, marries his college sweetheart, high school sweetheart rather. Sorry. And uh and then decides he wants to join the U.S. Secret Service. And uh, the troubles happen in his life. And and we, we meet him in the first of this series, The Kremlin mm-hmm. Conspiracy, in a different place in his life. But he's getting pulled back into U.S. federal government service. And as I said, he eventually winds up with the CIA. Uh, so he's, you know, he's 6'2", he's 175 pounds. He's, he's, a, he's a guy that's designed to mm-hmm. protect. His personality, his, his physical nature, his, his skills are protection. That, and what he struggles with is because of some horrible things that have happened in his life, he feels, you know, sort of sidelined. Mm-hmm. Is, he spent his whole life protecting the country, the, you know, the, the, the leaders of his country, and he's not been able to protect other people that are mm-hmm. close to him. So uh, now he's drawn into something that he doesn't necessarily want to be in. Mm-hmm. But um, so that's a hard way to describe yeah. for, for people. He's I, a lean, mean fighting character. machine. He is. And he's, he's more quiet than he is um, outspoken, but he, he's gotten to a point of his life he's willing to tell people the truth, even mm-hmm. if it hurts. And this is... Doesn't exactly always fit in the CIA culture, doesn't always (laughs) fit in the Secret Service culture, but this is who he is. And for reasons that, you know, the Kremlin conspiracy, then the the Persian gamble, he's gotten to this moment and the president trusts him enough to say, I trust you because of what you've done in the past. Other books you listeners have to listen, read to, read or listen to. I trust you enough to make sure this summit works. Mm -hmm. Now, you ask me, how do I do this? Well, We'll start with uh, me joking. It's it's true. I joke, but I'm a failed political consultant. Okay, <laughs> so Lynn and I lived in this city for 24 years. The first 10, I was for many of that, I was a political consultant. And everybody I worked for lost. Every single <laughs> in Washington, do not hire Joel <laughs> no, to help exactly. consult on My your campaign. Was like, once you choose who you want to work for, could you work for the opposite? Maybe that's the, <laughs> right. The, we'll send you to work for the other side. <laughs> exactly. So but I got thank it. goodness because your books are amazing. Well, not every person who writes political thrillers has ever spent time in politics. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that you have to, uh, right? Vince Flynn was a great mm-hmm. political thriller writer. Died way too soon. But he never he was involved in this right. uh, himself. You have such a depth of knowledge, though, on so many of these topics that it's clear that you know what you're talking about. Well, I'm trying. And I, it is funny to think of, 
the whole idea of writing a novel is a, is a strange thing, right? You deal in truth. You deal mm-hmm. in facts. And if it's not a fact, like I tell my journalist friends, look, you can do fake news. It's fine. But there's a job for it. You have to own it. It's called being <laughs> right. a novelist, right? That's what I do. <laughs> I do fake news. And I do it. But when you flip open your you know your notebook computer and you have that little cursor blinking, flashing, daring you, you go ahead, Joel. You fill this thing up with 100,000 words that are completely fictitious that people are going to spend $28 to go and several days of their life to mm-hmm. read. That's why the word curse <laughs> is <laughs> from cursor. cursor. Mm-hmm. So it's, a, it's an odd thing. And what has happened, as you know, uh, well, one, because you're one of the readers, but a lot of people in this town have been reading these thrillers. Uh, I met Mike Pence when he was in the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, who knew, right? Mm-hmm. He was going to become the vice president of the United States. But he was. He and his wife were readers of the novels. Invited me out to lunch. Okay. Mike Pompeo was on the Intel Committee. But I didn't. Nobody. He didn't know. Nobody knew he was going to be the CIA director mm-hmm. and the Secretary of State. People. So the King of Jordan. Mm-hmm. I wrote a whole series about people trying to kill him and blow up his palace and take over the Kingdom mm-hmm. of Jordan. I, that's not the brightest thing, maybe, to make him an actual named character <laughs> in the books, but I did. And then, who knew? He read one of them and invited Lynn and me to come and spend five days getting to know him. And we've had all kinds of meetings since then. So now that I write, yes, you, a thriller writer, a fiction writer thinks, oh, I can just make things up. That's true. But if you're in the genre, you have to come up with worst case scenarios that are both not true, because otherwise... You'll just right. go read Bob Woodward's book, right? Mm-hmm. But but it has to be plausible enough that people mm-hmm. like yourself and others in this town will go, that can happen. gosh, you know, God forbid yeah. that happened. But that's an interesting scenario. Let's play that. Let's let Joel play that thing out and see where that could lead for better or for worse. That's uh, that's a challenge. And, and especially in a world that's, you know, we've got a, a pandemic on our hands right now. Mm-hmm. I didn't. Please tell me you're not writing about the coronavirus. I am not writing about the coronavirus. (laughs) Um, uh, Good. We need to read about other things. Yeah, exactly. But it reminds me of that book years ago, a nonfiction book, which was scarier than any novel I've ever read called The Hot Zone, Mm -hmm. when Ebola came to Reston. They had a monkey uh, research facility, and it all went crazy, and everybody died. And so, uh, no, this is... We can focus on other things. A pandemic is not part of this. We'll have more Live in the Bream in a moment. Well, and let me ask you, because um, you've always been um, very well versed on Israeli politics and where we are at this moment. uh, Tell us where we are with the elections, (laughs) with uh, putting together majorities. Uh, What is happening? Well, as you and I record this, Israel has just done the the, become the first country on the planet to not allow anybody into their country unless you immediately go into 14 days of quarantine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, uh, so I'll get to the politics in a second, but that is going to have huge implications. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe it's only for the next few weeks, hopefully, but we are such a small country, 9 million people, the size of New Jersey. We are so globally interconnected. I just read uh, there are 260,000 Israelis who've just come in back into mm-hmm. the country in recent days. That's a quarter of a million people plus going into self-quarantine. Why? Because if this thing takes off in Israel... Uh, BDS, uh, boycott, mm-hmm. divestment, mm-hmm. and sanctions won't be our problem. Mm-hmm. Every country in the world will ban us. So we're taking extraordinary measures today mm-hmm. to make sure this thing doesn't become a huge problem. But politically, we are, we do have a huge problem, and that is we've had three elections in the last 12 months. Mm-hmm. And Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who is our longest-serving prime minister in the history of Israel, can't seem to persuade the 
the populace to give him enough seats to build a working coalition again. So uh, it feels like a deadlock, except after three times, I would argue it's not a deadlock. The country's sending a message. We're not giving Netanyahu the full ability to put together a government, but the opposition leader, who is our former uh, chief of staff of the Israeli military, a guy named Benny Gantz, Mm -hmm. we're not giving him the full power either, so you guys need to go build a unity government. But they are not big fans of each other, to say the least. One other thought on that, Netanyahu and his team have 58 seats out of 120 in in the parliament, Knesset. Well, that means that the opposition has 62 seats. In theory, the population has given those 62 enough to block Netanyahu and form their own government. But there are so many strands of uh, uh, strains of tension in that coalition. Then the question is, can they make a coalition? Um... From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. But I think it's possible, uh, Shannon, that we are heading into the post-Bibi Netanyahu era. I don't know if it's 2020, but I think if you've had three elections and you can't build a majority you're going to start running out of time and options. Add one more element, uh, and that is Netanyahu on March 17th uh, begins to go to trial. Mm -hmm. He's been indicted on three separate uh, corruption and bribery cases. Now, when we had our first election of the three last April, he hadn't been indicted. It was just a discussion. The last election we had, he wasn't indicted, but it was imminent. Now he's been indicted and the trial starts. Now, he's presumed innocent, absolutely, but politically that is having repercussions. There are smaller parties that will not team up with him because they're like, you can't be the, even if you're innocent, you can't be prime minister and defend the country and defend all of us. There's not enough bandwidth in a person's head every day and their energy level to do both. You, you got to step down. And so, um, you know, Trump's key ally, Netanyahu's a key Trump ally, but you saw Trump hedging his bets a little bit when he was getting ready to roll out his real peace plan and invited the opposition leader, Benny Gantz, mm-hmm. to the White House for a private meeting, private photo op. We've never seen that happen. I can't think of any country where the leader of the country comes for a major event and the opposition leader right. comes for a separate. That was They were starting to say, all right, we're diversifying. The White House was starting to diversify their uh, their. Um, their portfolio when it comes to Israel. What do you think would be or would there be a significant recognizable changes between U.S.-Israeli policy should Benny Gantz um, take power? No. I, I, what's interesting is I think Gantz and very much is is Netanyahu uh, in terms of policy with one, with one key exception right now. Netanyahu is saying that once he forms a government, he's going to start annexing parts of what we would call Judea and Samaria, but the world calls the West Bank. Now, this is very tempting for the center-right parties to do an immediate annexation of, of cities, towns, settlements, but it, there's a challenge. I, I think Gantz would not do that. Why? Because we, the country has to make a choice. Do we want short-term, quick takeover of some territory that we believe, you know, some of us believe biblically is Israel's, but... Um, it's going to cause a lot of international furor. But there's a trade-off. The Arab countries 
Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, United Arab Emirates, Oman, Morocco, they're moving towards Israel and getting ready to make peace. Maybe not quite like this novel. I don't think the Saudis are quite that ready yet, though I've met with their top leaders. They are warming. They're considering. But this would, would change all of it. It would. Mm. Uh, you cannot make peace with these Arab countries if you've just annexed, annexed territory. Mm-hmm. So that's a big trade-off. And I think Netanyahu is tempted mm-hmm. to do the, the short-term gain. I, I don't think that's the right way to go, but... Uh, Anyway, but otherwise, you think overall we'd have a very similar relationship with Israel Absol- if Benny Gantz was running absolutely. The show. Look, it's going to be a steep change, a steep uh, learning curve for for Gantz mm-hmm. if he becomes the prime minister or whoever becomes the prime minister mm-hmm. after Netanyahu. The guy has been around for thirty years. He's an extraordinary leader. Netanyahu runs a country. I'm a citizen of of nine million people. Like, he, but he is a world leader. He can pick up the phone and get. Putin and jump on a plane, go see him and change Putin's mind on things and Trump's mind like almost nobody else can. So that is not being the leader of a small country. That is being a global statesman. Any next person, that's going to be tough to simulate. Gantz is a military leader for 36 years. He's never written a bill. He's never passed a bill. He's never built a political coalition. Doesn't mean he can't learn. It does mean that it's not going to be the same. And that could mean there are stumbles and uh, challenges in this relationship. With growing pains. Uh, there could be big growing pains. But at some point, that's coming. Mm-hmm. I'm not advocating one way or the other. I'm, I'm neutral in that. But I, I see the pluses and minuses mm-hmm. in both of them. I want to ask you about something I started seeing several days ago um, as coronavirus really started to become a serious global story that Israeli researchers had been working on something, a yes. vaccine that in some way was related to this field. It would take modifications because COVID-19 is a unique virus. But I haven't seen this get much attention. I keep digging around for information that these Israeli scientists, if it's factual, um, are way ahead of where even the U.S. would be. I mean, our vaccine development could be anywhere 18 months or so to try to make um, serious hardcore progress getting this out to the public. But because of something Israeli scientists were already studying, um, they may have kind of a threat on this. What do we know? Let's hope so. I, that is absolutely true. Uh, look, it, you know, I, I don't want to create a stereotype, but I am Jewish. So let me just say we do have good doctors in our, yes, you know, you we do. have two good, good scientists, sharp people. And again, when you think of a small country that's very vulnerable to uh, an epidemic, uh, the, the scientists uh, and these researchers began, began developing a, um, a uh, they began studying and then developing a vaccine to deal with what was called avian flu just a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Why? Because if the chicken population gets wiped out, okay, that's one thing if you have a country with a billion chickens or 500, you know, whatever. I don't know what the chicken population in the United States <laughs> is. I'm sure you didn't expect that to come up. But if you're a little country and suddenly, you know, you start having all of your food, um, your basics and food begin to get wiped out and then that gets gets transmitted to people, you, you've got a devastation on your hands. So Israeli researchers have been, I think, have been ahead of the curve on working on lots of different fronts, on lots of different uh, uh, potential vaccines. Let's see, uh, you know, one of the challenges, let's say they get it right. If Israel runs all its tests and feels comfortable, maybe they'll allow people to use it if you're like in trouble. But then what what does the rest of the world do? Do, Mm -hmm. How long do those trials, you know, the FDA trials, people can be critical that's too long. On the other hand, 
if you get it wrong, mm-hmm. it's horrifying, and and now you've got a government decision, you know, to allow mm-hmm. it to go. So, those are a lot of questions that I think we don't have answers mm-hmm. for yet. But somebody needs to come up with something quick, and I yes. I hope it would be Israel. That would be a blessing to the nations. You know, it would be. I mean, for the whole world. So, I mean, I'm I'm trying to to watch that closely and find Israeli scientists and people that we can talk to to get a little bit more detail on that. Um, but what an amazing thing it would be for any country at this point to right. find a vaccine that would work, um, and certainly a country that would be willing to share it with other nations or the technology, although we do have, as we've talked about, the FDA is a whole different ball of wax here, but we know they're expediting all they can here as well. Um, We are glad to see you on this continent, to have you you on this side of the pond. (laughs) Love the new book. Again, it's The Jerusalem Assassin. It's the latest uh, entry in the Marcus Riker series, Um, and I hope there are many more to come. I hope so, too. Thank you for being with us. Joel Rosenberg on Live in the Bream. Thank you so much. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.